Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. You are listening to the Mortification of Spin. Thanks for joining us today. This is Todd Pruitt, and I am with, as always, my co-hosts, Carl Truman and Amy Bird. We are safely ensconced in a bunker, highly protected, highly protected from prying eyes and prying ears, and so free to say whatever our hearts want to say. And that's all about what we are here doing, just saying what's in our heart. And so we want to talk about a few things related to what God is like. One of the things that we see in contemporary culture is an attempt to perhaps shape God to fit current cultural mores or personal preferences. I was just reading this morning a section out of the book of Isaiah, and one of the things that struck me was just how different the God who is portrayed in the couple of chapters I was reading from what is oftentimes recorded in popular Christian books, sung about in popular Christian songs, and oftentimes preached about in current sermons. Not that Isaiah gives us an entire comprehensive picture of who God is, but oftentimes it is those prickly bits that we tend to avoid in the church today, and thereby sometimes reducing God to something that's warm and accessible and and cuddly. There's a question we want to explore a little bit today, uh, which is, is God our therapist? And of course, you'll want to answer immediately no, but my question is, is it true that we are treating him more and more as a therapist, talking about him in therapeutic categories, singing about him in therapeutic categories? categories? And if so, what's the problem with that? Doesn't God care about our emotional and mental well-being? Well, I think we would agree that he absolutely does. But is there something about, oh, our approach to theology over the last 150 years or so that has tended to force upon God modern or contemporary categories that come out of the therapeutic world? Carl, I know you've done a little bit of work on some projects recently dealing with the thinking of Philip Reif, the triumph of the therapeutic. So I know you've got some thoughts on that. Also, though, not just in his work, but one of the things that Machen was dealing with back in the 1930s was this notion that Protestant liberalism was adapting Christianity to kind of therapeutic categories. I mean, Machen addresses this, doesn't he? Yes, uh, I think what we're pointing to here in some ways is the point that Martin Luther makes, actually, in April 1518 at the Heidelberg Disputation, where he makes that famous distinction between the theologian of glory and the theologian of the cross. And Mm -hmm. the theologian of glory, to, to put it in simple terms, the theologian of glory is the one who tends to create God in man's image, tends to look at the way the world is and extrapolate back to God which means the theologian of glory may take a different form in different generations, depending what the pathologies are of the particular era in which he or she lives. But certainly, I think Reef's analysis is that for the last really 150, 200 years, we've lived in a world where 
increasingly human identity is psychological. Mm-hmm. Increasingly, the human problem is perceived as a psychological problem to which the answer is some form of therapy. Mm-hmm. And we see in the church now an absorbing of this language of therapy in a way that Luther would have said, well, that's typical of your theologian of glory. Example might be the prevalence of the language of brokenness. Human beings mm-hmm. are broken rather than sinful. Human beings are hurting rather than damned before God mm-hmm. in themselves. Right. So I would say there are all kinds of linguistic poker tells in the theological Christian world today that tell us that our theology is being shaped by this therapeutic culture which surrounds us. Right. And so when, when we talk about in, in critical ways about therapeutic categories, again, we're not saying that that God is disinterested in our in our emotional or mental well-being. Far from it. God is interested in that. Um, when you read the Psalms and other portions of Scripture, you see people struggling with things that we would categorize in terms of mental and, and emotional wellness. The, the problem is is when those things become ultimate concerns. And so you talk about psychological man to kind of riff off of reefs. Did you see how I did that? Mm-hmm. Riff off yeah. of Reef's categories there. Nobody's um, ever done that before, I think. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so, psychological man, mean, meaning making our emotional wellness kind of the ultimate thing about us. And so, right. when you zip that onto Christianity, it forces us to make God uh, primarily interested in how I feel. Now, I don't think anybody is out there putting it in those terms, but if you look at the content of much of the singing and the preaching and the writing in in the Christian world these days, it's tough to come to any other conclusion than we've sort of made Christianity therapeutic. We've sort of made God a therapist in that sense. And my question for Amy is, isn't this primarily the fault of women? Amy, you take it. No. Oh, oh, come on. You've got to be Heck kidding. No. Of course it Maybe is. Maybe it's no, a wife beater. She's I've clearly kidding. Of course this is primarily the fault of women. No way. I mean. Out there doing your yoga. Oh, Christian yoga. I mean, come on. Taught us that song. What is it? Uh, I walk in the garden alone. <laughs> and he walks with me and he talks with me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that right there kind of encapsulates what we're talking about. There is this tendency in women's um, books and speaking engagements that you see a lot of the sentimentalized language and a lot of that is psychological language, but also in men's teaching as well. What about coloring books? Don't you have coloring books at your women's retreats? <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> it's not just the women that are doing those. It's not just women that are doing those. What? I'm telling you. No, yeah, everybody's it's doing not it. Just the women that are doing the coloring books. Oh goodness me, the apostasy <laughs> deeper than I imagined in my wildest nightmare. But I think that idea that you know that God that we kind of softly wait for that whisper that we hear, and He is going to alleviate our suffering right away. It really speaks as well back to that theology of glory and theology of the cross. Like, what is our theology of suffering? Yeah, um, not that we should be seeking it out in that kind of way. But um, when we do have anguish and when there is brokenness, I mean, that's a real thing, but we can't take that term and separate it from sin. Yeah. And that's, and that's the problem because that's what's happened, isn't it? 
Right. We've replaced broke, the language of sin. Right. Brokenness with, has become a synonym for sin. And yeah. some of this, I think, is, well, the expectations of church. Reef has a great statement in The Triumph of the Therapeutic. I mean, Reef was a secular Jewish thinker, but right. a Freud scholar, but he has a great line about church, the effect of, in times past, people did not go to church to be made happy. They went to church to have their misery explained to them. Mm. And I think that captures something in that, yes, that is the task of the church to expose the terrible condition of sinful humanity and to point them to the solution, which is the resurrection beyond death and then life eternal. It's not necessarily to provide happiness here and now, which leads me to think, you're going to laugh at this, I know, or be offended, but are the Americans responsible for this? (laughs) Because you guys have it in writing… Yeah. That life, liberty, and pursuit the pursuit happiness. of happiness. Yeah. Since when was the pursuit of happiness a basic human right? right I think right. that's a problem. When you start making happiness, the pursuit of happiness, part of your vision of life, you're opening yourself up to the therapeutic. So, I blame well, the Americans. Well, what oh, happened was the is, <laughs> is that when those very gifted and intelligent colonists finally separated themselves from that dismal little island out in the North, <laughs> North Atlantic yeah. Sea, they finally saw that happiness was something that could actually be attained <laughs> here no. on Earth. Uh, I mean, to be I honest, mean, I mean we discovered dentists, for instance, as a part of that. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing. The more thing. presidents you elect, the worse the American Revolution looks as an idea, I have to say. I, let me try to connect a couple dots here. So, you both have mentioned this idea of brokenness, and we've said that brokenness, unfortunately, has, has become kind of a synonym for sin. Now, we affirm people are broken, things are broken, the world is, is broken. It's been given over to futility, Romans chapter 8. But brokenness is not just another way of saying sin. Brokenness is a result of the fall. But sin is, by very definition, lawlessness. And one of the reasons why brokenness or other therapeutic-type words have been used now to replace the language of sin in, in some conservative Presbyterian circles, sadly, is because we've been told that, you know, modern city dwellers can't understand or relate to the concept of rebellion or law-breaking, but they can understand the issue of brokenness. Now, does anybody actually believe that, first of all? Do you mean to tell me that modern city dwellers don't understand the notion of lawlessness? I think if I go to New York City and throw a brick through a jeweler's window and walk off with jewelry, most of the people in Manhattan would regard me as having done something terribly wrong. Right. I Um, would suggest that the reason why brokenness… Even in Manhattan. Even in Manhattan. (laughs) I would suggest that the reason why for the ascendancy of the idea of brokenness over lawlessness is because the fact is I don't feel as bad about brokenness. As I do about the fact that I'm a lawbreaker. So, do you think this is a function, actually, of a loss of an understanding of the holiness of God? Yes. Is that what's really it? I just think that's one layer. I think that's an important layer. It's it's probably at the heart of it. But also, I'm just thinking pragmatically. um, We have come to learn a lot more about the brain, even though we don't know very much about it still. And the church has, in some ways, in some good ways, recognized that there are psychological issues at play in some people that are biological that also 
come into equations. And so when you have people meeting with their pastor, let's say, and they are, are struggling um, psychologically, relationally, socially, they're coming for counseling. How do you say we fix this problem then? Like here's people who are, are hurting. A lot of the psychological language used now is healing. <laughs> we see that a lot. As a pastor, what do you think you do now for these people who have all of these issues? And we have more knowledge in some of those issues, but we don't want to let go of what your job is as a pastor. Well, I mean, Carl and I are both pastors and both of us make use of professional counselors in our pastoral ministries. We both do because we recognize um, that there are times when there's a need for that. Both of us, Carl and I as pastors, make use of psychiatrists or people who are licensed or equipped to to offer medical care to people who are suffering from various issues because we recognize that in a fallen world people's brains get screwed yeah. up or they have an imbalance of chemicals and they need medical help for that that's, that's legitimate psychological that's, problems that, that's legit depression depression can be caused by brain tumor i mean absolutely first thing i do if somebody comes to me suffering from what appears to be depression is to Tell them to go and see their doctor as well. We'll try to deal with the spiritual side of these things, but they need to see the doctor in case there's some physiological aspect. And even if it is but a that, tumor, you're still going to need spiritual help. <laughs> yeah, but, that's, but that doesn't bleed over into my preaching. You know, I'm not preaching medical help. Right. right. Hopefully the holiness of what God. What is the primary job of the pastor? Yeah. So, again, when we talk about the problem of therapeutic categories in our theology and in our worship, we're not saying that there is not a very real and good and profitable role for psychiatric care. But when you see that in preaching and in music… I point people to that in my pastoral ministry. There are people in our care as the, the session of my church where we help secure psychiatric medical care for people because God has given that to us as a blessing. But when we talk about the problematic issue of seeing God as our therapist or sin, talking about sin in primarily therapeutic categories. So much of that is blended together now. And part of the problem with looking at sin in primarily therapeutic categories rather than than the mental and emotional issues being consequences of sin. Uh, When we look at it primarily in in therapeutic categories, what we're doing ultimately is we're stripping the gospel of its power. Because Mm -hmm. if my primary problem is therapeutic, then I don't need a substitutionary atonement. I just need a caring forever friend. Yeah. And And, I I was going to say it creates an impression of life and the purpose of the church as making people happy. Right. which is not the meaning of life. The meaning of life is to glorify God. And the church is not there primarily to make people happy. Hopefully it does. Hopefully it provides us with a community. It provides us with good friends. It provides us with emotional support, all of these things that, as an Englishman, I kind of despise. But, you know, hopefully it does. <laughs> but that's not its ultimate purpose. Right. It's not its ultimate purpose, the creation of a happy community. Mm-hmm. Its ultimate purpose is the creation of a community that worships and glorifies God. And they are not necessarily the same thing. No. So when psychological language starts entering the pulpit and starts entering the music that we're singing in Mm. worship and even in Christian theology books taking Mm. the place of theology, then we've kind of given our jobs over the whole mission of the church. 
Yeah. And again, you know, sometimes we have to repeat things like five times or else we get in trouble. Again, is brokenness an issue in the human family? Yes, there's all kinds of, quote, brokenness. The problem is, is that when the categories of brokenness replace the very definition of of what sin is, which is lawlessness, suddenly, again, the impact on the gospel is devastating because no longer do I need saving from the wrath of God, but I need fixing from the flaws that are in me. Well, you know, I don't have moral culpability for brokenness. Mm-hmm. But I have moral culpability for my sin. And people use that term, sins. you know, for sexual immorality, even, you Absolutely. know, something so sexual brokenness, right? Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's brokenness. And then right. um, we have no category then for true holiness and sanctification. Exactly. How, how would we feel about the adulterer? Okay. Because oftentimes now, whenever homosexuality is brought up, it's just being talked about as, quote, sexual brokenness. And I'm not saying that that's not an appropriate term in some applications. I think it is. The problem is, is that why don't we just start referring to adulterers as people with sexual brokenness? Or pedophiles. Right. I mean, I sense that day is coming, unfortunately, but but we need to be careful here. Is there such a thing as sexual brokenness? Well, sure, because everything is kind of broken, but it's broken because of our lawlessness, fundamentally. Now, that doesn't mean you can trace Every problem that a person experiences directly to a sin they commit. We know better than that. Why is this man blind? Did he or his parents sin? Well, neither one. So we know that there are categories of pain and sorrow and brokenness that aren't due directly to a sin I commit. But ultimately, human brokenness is traced back to sin. Yeah. Whether it's mine or my neighbor's or my my first parents. Well, it's been a hopefully a useful discussion. Todd blames women for the, uh, the language of brokenness. Uh, Amy vigorously denies that, and I blame all Americans everywhere for all <laughs> such therapeutic problems. We thank you for listening to Mortification of Spin. Our giveaway this week is going to be John Owen's Mortification of Sin. Uh, volume produced. I think the title is Sin and Temptation. It was edited by Justin Taylor and, uh, and Kelly Capick. It's a nice new edition of John Owen's classic work, which really gets to the heart of the human problem of sin and how we as Christian believers should address it. Please visit our website, mortificationofspin.com.org. Oh, sorry. Please visit our website, mortificationspin.org. Not the mortificationspin.com people. We don't know who they are. Nothing to do with us. Nasty bunch. Uh, mortificationspin.org. Uh, please uh, remember we're donor-supported podcast, so if you'd like to make a donation, please do. And in the meantime, we look forward to being with you next time. I want to talk to you. The last time we talked, Mr. Smith, you reduced me to tears. I promise you it won't happen again. Do I attract you? Do I repulse you with my queasy smile? Am I too dirty? Am I too flirty? Do I like what you like? What you like? Yeah, I could be wholesome. I could be loathsome. Guess I'm a little bit shy. Why don't you like me? Why don't you like me without making me try? I try to be like great. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation.
And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... Um, But there were also a few that were quite important. In fact, one of them, uh, overture number seven it was, and, and then one that was kind of related to it, overture number 18, was, I believe, the most important thing we voted on. So how did you feel about the outcome of the committee for the... Or the women's issues. Yeah. Well, obviously, that's one of the big ones there, Amy, and that led to an entire day's and evening's discussion. That interview is next time. Join us then. I get confused between organ calm. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it, it's part of our yeah, brokenness. It's it part, of, part of our brokenness. brokenness. Yes, yeah. you need yeah. healing. You need to pray for healing. You need healing from that confusion, yeah. Carl. Yeah.